Great to be here again as we continue our series on relationship. Life is just all about relationships, and God himself is a relationship. He's Father, Son, Holy Spirit. He designed us in his likeness and image, and he created us to be dependent not only on him, but on one another as well. So relationships really are the key to life. And just a reminder, the the quality of your relationships determines the quality of your life. Uh, really nothing else. It's not money, power, fame. It's really quality of relationships that's going to determine your purpose, your peace, everything in your life. Well, Fred was going to visit his mother and her gravesite, not his mother, but her gravesite, as he did at the beginning of every month and would clean her gravesite off and bring flowers and place them there. This time as Fred was leaving, he just heard just uncontrollable sobbing. There was this younger man over in front of a gravesite, and he was just wailing and crying, and he was going, why did you have to leave me in this predicament? Oh, why? Why? And Fred figures, oh, he's, the young man's lost his wife. That must be tough. And he kept walking to his car, but the wailing just continued, and Fred decided, I need to console this young man. So he went over and put his hand on his shoulder, and he said, I know how tough it is uh, to lose somebody you love. And he goes, "Uh, why did you have to leave? You left me in this predicament. And he goes, I'm so sorry for the loss of your wife. And the young man kind of looked. He goes, what? What did you say? He goes, the loss of your wife. You are mourning the loss of your wife, right? And he goes, no, I'm mourning the loss of her first husband. Why did you have to leave me in this predicament? (laughs) The reality is that Relationships are tough, they're complex, and and they break down. Why is that? Well, it's our condition. We're fallen beings. We are, by nature, relationally dysfunctional. We just are. Uh, One time somebody told me, he said, uh, I came from a dysfunctional family. I'm like, really? Welcome to the human race. I mean, we all, I mean, levels of dysfunction can be different, and I understand that. Some can be worse than others, but we are all just by nature relationally dysfunctional. And what I'm saying is when it comes to our condition, we're kind of all in the same boat. There's no difference or distinction. Paul writes about this in uh, Romans chapter 3. He says, there is no difference for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of of God. And that's where we all are. We all fall short of God's glorious standard or his perfection. No one's perfect. We're all in the same boat. We're all relationally dysfunction. And that's important for us to understand because until you realize that you have a problem, you're not going to take action to make it better, are you? We took a look at this a couple of weeks ago, but today I'd like to go a little deeper and be a little more specific by talking about the relationships we have between men and women. And the reason I want to talk about this is because I don't know if you've noticed, but men and women are different. And before you tune me out, if you're single and you're like, I'm never going to get married again, so I'm just going to tune Lenny out today, this is, doesn't have anything too much to do. It does have to do with marriage relationships, but it's just about the relationships that men and women have together. And we all have relationships with people of opposite gender, correct or incorrect. Right. Yeah. So we need to know and understand the differences that we have. Did you know that there are differences that men and women are different? I mean, men have 
generally a little more facial hair than women. We, we tend to grow a little more hair on our face than women do. Uh, men have generally an Adam's apple. You know, God in his amazing foresight uh, foresaw cross-dressing, and so he wanted to give us a little heads up and made sure that, you know, we would be able to understand, okay? Some of you are like, did he really say that? Yes, he did. I'm sorry. Welcome to East Point. Um, <laughs> You know, men have a certain type of chest and women, it's just different, isn't it? It is. Men and women are different. And the outward differences are obvious. However, there are more inward differences than outward differences. This keeps us from relating to one another in a healthy manner, which is detrimental to our lives. And here's why. It's our timeless truth. The quality of your relationships determines the quality of your life. It's very, very, very important. And I I keep saying this over and over and over. But it's not money. It's not fame. It's not power. It's not success. Study after study. And I recently just read this a week ago. A secular study from Harvard. What makes people happy? Guess what their answer was? Healthy relationships. And I just went, there it is again. Even outside of the church and outside of the Bible. Secular uh, society teaches us this. And, uh, you know, one of the things that's interesting about people in our culture is, does anyone know what the number one prescribed drug is in our culture today? <laughs> They're getting specific. See, I didn't know that. But it, what type of drug is Prozac? <laughs> Boom. Antidepressants, number one type of prescribed drug in our, in our culture. It's not every culture. You go to third world countries, believe it or not, you think they would be more depressed. They're actually less. But in our culture, um, antidepressants are the number one prescribed drug. Here's my theory why. Our relationships are so bad, we're drugging ourselves to cope. Our relationships are so unhealthy and they're so bad and they have such a lack of quality that we need drugs in order to cope with life. And I don't think God wants us to merely cope. I think he wants our relationships to thrive. He wants us to experience healthy relationships. He wants us to experience intimacy. And of course, we need him at the center of our life in order to experience intimacy in our relationships especially, listen, the relationships between men and women, because let's face it, we're different and we're quite a bit different. But listen, that's a good thing because when combined, the whole is greater than us being alone. Our differences when combined become part of a much greater whole. And that's God's design and that's his plan. But we have to understand that there are filters Filters that impact the way that we view and live our lives. And depending on whether you're a man or a woman, this can be very profound. And it's vital that we understand how these filters work and these differences affect us so we can better relate to one another and love each other in a healthy manner that honors God. So what I want to do is look at three filters through which we all view life. Now, you you guys know we all view life through a pair of lenses and our lenses aren't quite so clear. Like I was cleaning my glasses before I got up here and I didn't do such a good job. But because of our sinful nature, none of us sees everything perfectly. We all have kind of a skewed perspective. And these filters can impact the way that we look and view life. And the number one filter that I want to look through is 
Filter number one, our past experiences. Our past experiences impact the way that we view life and relate to things in one another. Things we saw and experienced in our childhood can become predictors in the way we behave today. And there are always people that reject this notion, especially men, (laughs) who are like, oh, my past doesn't affect me. And, you know, I love having fun with them and saying, yeah, your past impacts the way that you view and perceive life. And in fact, I can pick anything in this room and prove that point to you. So somebody, some person, pick anything out in this room. You said it. Say it again. Okay, just point to it. That thing right there. What is that? It's a, it's a chair. How do you know that? Because it's a chair. What do you do with the chair? You sit in it. How did you know that? Because you do it. Because you learned it, right? Because in your past, you learned that this is a chair. This is what you do with a chair. And so that's kind of a dumb illustration. But just to show you, our past experiences impact the way that we relate to everything in our life. A ministry uh, leader once told me about how his past impacted the way he related to his wife when he got married. And he said his dad taught him early on to be a form over substance kind of guy. There was no depth or substance. It was all about the form. And he said, you know, my father never once told him that he loved us. There was no physical affection in his house that he can remember. He said, my dad was all about looking good to people outside of our family. Well, his dad died at a relatively young age. And he said, the saddest thing was my dad spent his whole life trying to impress coworkers and bosses who were nowhere to be found at his funeral. Meanwhile, sitting in the front row was the family that he'd neglected all these years. And that's a sad truth, but very common in our culture. So my friend grew up in an environment where there wasn't a whole lot of intimacy or depth. As a result, he said, my attitude towards my wife was, hey, honey, when we got married, I said, I love you. If anything changes, I'll let you know, okay? Now, can you see how they might be a problem? Absolutely, it's pretty easy to see, but but our past experiences just impact the way that we view life. We need to understand that and and that our past affects how we view everything and more importantly, how we relate to everyone. And we all have stuff in our past that hinders our ability to experience intimacy in our relationship. And here's something we got to remember. Our adversary knows all about our stuff. He was there when our stuff happened. He was instigating it. But here's the good news. is Jesus died to free believers from all sin. And that's including the sin of our past. The sins committed against us in our past. John wrote this in his gospel. John 16, 33. Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows. But take heart because I have overcome the world. See, we're all relationally dysfunctional, and we all grew up in dysfunctional households. But if we will take action, if we will, then there are promises to us that are made uh, by God himself. Jesus said to the people who believed in him, you are, my tr- you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings. Watch this. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And this may mean, hey, I might need to go talk to somebody 
about stuff in my past. I might need to work that out. I might need to meet with Bill. I might not need, I might need to do what Lenny did and go to a counselor once, twice, just over and over and over, just working out stuff in my past that impacts my relationship today. And Jesus goes on to say this in the same passage. He says, so if the Son sets you free, you are truly free. And you can experience freedom from past sins, but you have to take action. It's not enough just to understand. Okay, yes, my, yeah, there's stuff in my past. Yes, it impacts me. What are you going to do about it? How are you going to deal with this? How, how are you going to take that junk in your past and put it at the feet of Jesus and give it to him so he can go, okay, let's heal this. Let's take you to a healthier place so that you can relate with other people in a healthy manner and have quality relationships. Make sense? One person said, yeah, good, good. Okay, timeless truth number two. Unapplied truth is like unapplied paint. The benefit is in the application. Unapplied truth is like unapplied paint. A lot of times in church and in the Christian faith, we think knowledge is all about, is everything. Okay, well, I know that. I know that. I know that. So if you know it, it really doesn't do any good. It's like the guy who had a a house that needed a new paint job. And, you know, you get to know him. You go, hey, you know, maybe even East Point shows up. Hey, would you like us to paint? Oh, no, I don't need you to paint my house. Well, it looks pretty. Nah, see, he points to the garage of all the paint that's sitting there. Oh, look, I got the paint. Well, the paint doesn't do any good unless you apply it, right? Well, the same is true when it comes to uh, truth. Unapplied truth is like unapplied paint. The benefit is always in the application. And now we move on to filter number two, our physiological differences. We view life through our past experiences, but we also view life through our physiological differences. And I want to spend a little bit of time talking about this because it is profound and it is different. And these are the differences I want to talk about between men and women. Did you know that there are one million more red blood cells in a drop of a man's blood than there are in a woman's blood? One million more red blood cells in a drop of blood. Now, now I'm not really sure why, but they've determined that there is. Another difference is underneath a woman's skin is a layer of tissue. They call it a fatty layer. It's a very thin layer of tissue underneath a woman's skin. And as a result, a woman's skin feels very soft and a man's skin feels rougher. Now, our brains are completely different. That's a shocker, right? <laughs> the women are like, no, not at all. We, we get that, Lenny. At about the sixth month of a baby boy's life, the brain starts re- releasing a chemical called testosterone. All right? And testosterone has the effect of deteriorating the fibers that connect the right and left hemispheres of the brain. We don't know really why this happens, but as a result, men only think really with one side of the brain at a time. The women are thinking we don't think with either side of the brain at any time, right? But, but check this out. Here, here's the reality. Men tend to compartmentalize things. They do as a difference. You women have this incredible this incredibly thick network of conduits and transistors. And us guys, we're like two Dixie cups and a string, you know? So women ask us, how do you feel? And we're like, football, you know. 
I mean, it's true. See, the emotional part of our brain is not connected with the area of our brain that processes information. As a result, women are naturals at things like nurturing. And before you ladies start thinking us men are inferior, uh, there are advantages to being able to compartmentalize things. Uh, Men tend to be able to make tough decisions without emotions playing into the process. Now, I'm not saying a woman can't make a tough decision without emotions impacting it. I'm just saying it's a little harder. They have to be more careful. It's more difficult. Why? Because God has hard-brained your wired to be so amazingly and wonderfully interconnected. And I'm also not saying that men can never connect with their emotions. It's just harder. Men have to work really hard at connecting with their emotions. If you talk to any counselor, they'll tell you women come in and it's just they just dump, you know, and they're bawling. A man's like, you know, they just have to kind of get to know them. It's like session one, session two, session three, session four. Then when the man starts to trust them a little bit, they might start to process that thing. I'm not saying men are superior to women. I'm not saying women are superior to men. What I'm saying is we're different because God made us different. And this is a good thing because our differences when combined are a part of a greater whole. You see, in the book of Genesis, Adam was, what was he? He was incomplete. He was not whole. Guess what was missing? Eve. And so God created We're different, and understanding these differences help us to relate to one another in a healthy manner. And then I'm going to move on to filter number three that we view life through. And filter number three is this, our fallen nature impacts the way that we view everything. It is the most important filter because this filter has a profound impact on all the others. We've already discovered that we have a fallen nature, that we fall short of God's perfection, men and women alike. However, at the fall of mankind, there was a curse in Genesis placed upon the man. There was a curse placed upon the woman, and they were very different. And first, let's take a place. Let's take a look at the curse placed on the woman as a result um, of disobedience. It's found in Genesis three sixteen. He says this to the woman. He says, I will sharpen the pain of your pregnancy, and in pain you will give birth. And you will desire to control your husband, but he will rule over you. Now, for centuries, men in the church have twisted this scripture and used it as an excuse to boss their wives around. That's not what this verse means at all. If you look at the context, it means that the husband will be a place of safety, a protector a provider of security. As a result of the curse placed on the woman, check this out. A woman's greatest need is security. A woman's greatest fear is abandonment. A woman's greatest need is for security. A woman's greatest fear is abandonment. So men need to be aware and sensitive to these needs and meet them. And let me clarify, this doesn't have to be physical abandonment. There are couples that are sitting in the same room, and yet abandonment has happened. Now let's take a look at the curse placed upon the man. Genesis 3, 17 and 19. And to the man he said, Since you listened to your wife and ate from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat, the ground is cursed because of you. All 
your life, you will struggle to scratch out a living from it. It will grow thorns and thistles for you. Though you will eat of its grains, by the sweat of your brow, this is the key, will you have food to eat until you return to the ground from which you were made. For you were made from dust, and to dust you will return. Ever since the curse was placed on the man, we've been trying to overcome it through our work. We think, if I just work a little harder, if I just get to this position, if I, if I just can achieve this, I'll be satisfied. But it never works. As a result of the curse placed upon the man, check this out. A man's greatest need is for significance. A man's greatest fear is failure. I remember the first time I learned these concepts and I heard a friend of mine say these words, a great man's greatest need is for significance. And I went, that's me. That's me. My greatest need is for significance. Here I am, 53 years old. Here I am, been teaching these concepts for probably more than a dozen years. And guess what I still struggle with? I was talking to Bill. He's like, how's it going? I go, well, two weeks ago, I kind of collapsed. Why did I collapse? Well, I had been working seven days a week for... And then I just like, I talked to my wife. I go, God, I'm going to, I can't believe I'm teaching this. And yet, it's still something that I struggle with. See, I have a need for significance, but I have a fear. And you know what my greatest fear is? Is that somehow I'll fail and that I'll be a failure. And we do all kinds of things to try and achieve significance in our life. I mean, if you're a man, we build things. Typically, we love tools. We're conquerors, explorers. And women try to do all kind of things to achieve security. And, and remember, this is not just for married couples. Every human being is under one of these curses, depending on whether you're male or female. And here's what's really profound. When a man's needs are being met, when we're achieving, accomplishing, when we're feeling significant, we're more open and honest and sharing and more likely to meet the needs of our spouse then she becomes more secure in her relationship and in life. But listen, when a man's fears are being realized, we do the exact opposite. Men, what do we do when we feel like a failure? Do we go out and announce it to everybody? Hey, what does a man do when he feels like a failure? He runs and hides. When a man's fears are realized, we want to run and hide. We get quiet. We don't communicate very well. And this leads me to relational truth number one. When a man's fears are realized, he withdraws. You just look at human nature. Now, women respond very differently. When women feel secure, when they're loved, valued, cherished, protected, they're very supportive of their husbands. They cheer them on give them support, encourage them. And then the woman herself experiences intimacy and security. As a result, the man's needs get met and he feels significant. His fears dissipate as he realizes he's a success. However, when a woman's needs are not being met, when she feels ignored, when she feels not, she's not important, he only cares about his work, he only cares about sports. When this happens, a woman doesn't withdraw. She does the opposite of a man. 
When a woman's needs are not being met, she attacks. (laughs) Men withdraw. I got to go hide because I don't feel. A woman, when her needs are not being met, she does the complete opposite. She becomes critical. He feels less significant. He feels like a failure. I remember one time I was teaching these concepts to a young couple in our church. And I remember the woman looking at me and so honestly and humbly saying, that's why I'm such a nag all the time. Yeah, I didn't say anything, but I'm like, wow. You know, but if you look at yourself, if you look inside, if we read scripture, if we understand ourselves, it can help us be honest with ourselves and us to relate to one another in a proper manner. And this wasn't all the wife's fault because her husband realized, wow, I'm not meeting her needs. And can you see how this kind of thing works? It can snowball. Uh, When we give and sacrifice in our relationships, we have our own needs met. When we don't, it goes the other way. I love this verse in Philippians 2. Paul writes this, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. And when you do take this approach, you find that things go so much better for you when you look out for others. Because we weren't designed for selfishness. That's a result of the fall. The reality is we can be doing well with the relationships and everything can just fall apart. Watch this. I can do about Emily, the first Mrs. K in there. Well, after the first couple of months, she and Charlie didn't see much of each other except at breakfast. It was a marriage just like any other marriage. You're beautiful. Oh, I can't. Yes, you are. You're very, very beautiful. I've never been to six parties in my Extremely life. Extremely beautiful. Life. Oh, I've never even been up this late. It's a matter of habit. I wonder what the servants will think. They'll think we enjoyed ourselves. Yes. Didn't we? I don't see why you have to go straight out to the newspaper. You never should have married a newspaper man. They're worse than sailors. I absolutely adore you. Oh, Charles, even newspaper men have to sleep. I'll call Mr. Bernstein. Have him put up my appointments until noon. What time is it? I don't know. It's late. It's early. Charles, do you know how long you kept me waiting last night while you went to the newspaper for ten minutes? What do you do in a newspaper in the middle of the night? Emily, my dear, your only correspondent is the Inquirer. Sometimes I think I'd prefer a rival of flesh and blood. Oh, Emily, I don't spend that much time on the newspaper. It isn't just the time. It's what you print, attacking the president. You mean Uncle John? I mean the president of the United States. He's still Uncle John. He's still a well-meaning fathead who's letting a pack of high-pressure crooks run his administration. This whole oil scandal... He happens to be the president, Charles, not you. That's a mistake that will be corrected one of these days. You, Mr. Bernstein, sent Junior the most incredible atrocity yesterday, Charles. I simply can't have it in the nursery. Mr. Bernstein is apt to pay a visit to the nursery now and then. Does he have to? Yes. Really, Charles? People will think... What I tell them to think. (laughs) 
Wasn't he ever in love with her? He married for love. Love. That's why he did everything. That's why he went into politics. It seems we weren't enough. He wanted all the voters to love him, too. That's all he really wanted out of life was love. That's Charlie's story, how he lost it. You see, he just didn't have any to give. Did you see what happened? At the beginning, they started encouraging one another and meeting each other's needs. Then it started going south. He begins to ignore her, so she begins to attack. He then begins to withdraw because he's not feeling significant. She's not feeling loved or secure, so what does she do? She attacks. What does he do? He withdraws. He starts spending more time at work to overcome the curse. And it's this endless cycle of dysfunction. And in the last scene, I don't know if you noticed, when they're no longer communicating with words and he's hiding and withdrawing behind the newspaper, is she still attacking? Yeah, you might not have noticed. She's reading the rival newspaper. And that's just the way it works. Let me ask you a question, and this is serious. Who do you think has a ball with all of this? Who do you think feeds into this and makes it worse and worse and worse? Yeah, it'd be the enemy. It's Satan. See, he knows all about the curse. He was instrumental in having it happen. And he uses it against us. And that's why understanding this information is vital. But you'll never be able to break the cycle on your own. And here's the good news. You don't have to. Because you see, Jesus already did it. He overcame the curse, the fall of mankind. And he gives us all we need to overcome dysfunctional relationships if, if we confess, we realize we have an issue, and we give it to him. John wrote this in his first epistle. My dear children, you belong to God because God's spirit who is in you is greater than the devil who's in the world. Here's the thing, guys, that we got to understand. We're different. We are. Men and women are different. But that's a good thing because our differences, when combined, become part of a much greater whole. You know, Jesus said this. He said, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. It starts with loving God with everything you got. We have to do that before we'll be able to love and accept the differences in one another and to relate to one another properly. But Jesus went on. He said, the second is like unto it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then he finished with some of the most amazing words in Scripture. He said, all the law and prophets hinge on this command. It's all about relationship. It's all about loving God with everything you have and loving one another. And it's crucial that we understand what we're up against, the curse that was placed on us, and what God can do through us if we just lay it at his feet. Pray with me. Father, I thank you so much, Lord, for Jesus. Lord, I thank you for your word that teaches us, Lord, teaches us about life, about relationship, teaches us about our own dysfunction. Father, help us to understand what we're up against. 
Help us to understand, Lord, the curse that's placed on each and every one of us that we're fallen beings. But help us to understand, Lord, that what you did on the cross overcomes everything that comes against us. Lord, help us to lay it at your feet. Help us, Lord, to relate to one another in a healthy manner. Lord, help every man in this room to understand that his significance is not found in work. It's found in you and his relationships with you, his relationships with one another. Lord, help every woman in this room understand that her security cannot be found in money, wealth, or anything else. It's found in you, Lord, for only you can give us security. And only you can give us significance. And when we put you at the center of our life and relationships, Lord, you give us what we need to be the people you've called us to be. We need your help, Jesus. We pray in your name. Amen.